I'll find myself wanting to please the crowd. I'll find myself wanting
Hello, and welcome to Firewell Bible Fellowship, where we strive to be Christ-centered and gospel-focused. Here's what's happening at Firewell. Happy Father's Day, Firewheel Dads. Thank you for all you did. Sunday, June 25th, immediately following the service, there will be an important meeting to give updates to our Firewheel family. There will not be child care for this event, so all of our attendees can come. Parents plan to bring some snacks and coloring pages for the little ones. Firewheel Men. It is time for the second annual Meetup Palooza, July 15th at 6 p.m. at the Stalls House. Bring some meat or a side to share. For more details, contact men at firewheelfellowship.com or check the event page on the website. For more info on these or any of the events going on around Firewheel, check us out at firewheelfellowship.com slash events on social media. <laughs> Good morning. How are you today? Oh man, you guys know better than that. How are you today? In the house of the Lord. Man, if you guys will stand for with us in worship. <laughs> Just get it started When I hit a wall You just walk through When I face a mountain You are the maker So it's God When I'm out of faith You are still faithful When I'm at my worst in all of my questions, you are the answer. It all points to you. Cause you're the
started with a little bit of a slower song this morning. So, um, man, I think we all need a reason to praise, and I think God is that reason this morning. Amen? Amen. Amen. So uh, for the next two or three minutes or a minute or so, uh, I want you to guys to go find three or four people, and if they're a father, tell them Happy Father's Day. If they're not a father, just tell them you love them. Is that okay? Yeah. Or do both. Yeah. yeah, just tell them you love them, but also tell the fathers Happy Father's Day. All right, let me pray for our worship service this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, God. God, I just thank you for each and every person that walked through this room this morning. Um, God, 
this morning, just help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Today's Father's Day. I want to, uh, we just thank you for all the fathers in the house. Um, but God, we also want to thank you for you. We want to thank you for the cross this morning. You're the greatest example of a father we could ever see. And so God, we thank you for that. God, just be with us as we worship this morning. Um, and just help us to love on you. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said.
Well, good morning. You know, as we gather here today, and today's Father's Day, of course, and we honor our fathers, but when we come together here every Sunday, our purpose is to honor our Heavenly Father. See, we worship Him and we praise Him because He did something for us that we cannot do on our own. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty for the sins of you and I. See, we have access to our Father because of His Son, and that is why communion holds such a special place in the lives of believers in Christ. We read the following. The Apostle John, where he says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Only Jesus is capable of taking away the sins of you and I. We read from the Gospel of Mark. It says, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and we had given thanks. He broke it to them, and they all drank from it. This is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, he said to them. Around the auditorium, we do have the tables. And on those tables, you see the wafers of bread, which are symbolic of Christ's broken body. We see the vials of juice, which are symbolic of of Jesus' blood that he chose to shed on the cross for you and I. See, communion isn't just a ritual, a ritual or an activity that we do. It is a time in which we thank and we honor our Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father. Let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are worthy, Lord, of all praise, glory, and honor. You are so good to us, Lord. We thank you for the sacrifice of your Son, that we as believers in you have access to you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for choosing us. My prayer, Father, is that this act of communion, that it would not be just a ritual or a routine, but that it would be pleasing to you, that your name would be glorified through it, because you are worthy to be praised. And I pray this in the name of Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. The communion tables are now open.
I'll find myself wanting to please the crowd. I'll find myself wanting to please the crowd. I'll need you to remind me that I should obey God. That I should obey God. I'll act like I don't have any problems. I'll need you to show me how to share my struggles with others. I'll want to have a lot of money so I can buy what I want. I'll need you to teach me that my things belong to God. That my things belong to God. I'll struggle with my looks and appearance. I'll need you to remind me that God wonderfully made me. I'll tend to think about myself before others. I'll need you to teach me that the last will become first. The last will become first. The last will become first. I'll think I'm a lot smarter than I actually am. I'll think I'm a lot smarter than I actually am. I'll need you to show me how to learn from God's wisdom. I'll want to avoid hard conversations. I'll want to avoid hard conversations. I'll need you to show me how to speak the truth in love. In love. I'll look for happiness in many different places. I'll need you to show me that joy is found in following Christ. I'll find myself stuck in bad habits. I'll need you to show me the way out. I'll need you to show me the way out. I'll need you. I'll need you. I'll need you. I'll need you. To point me toward Christ when no one else will. To point me toward Christ when no one else will. All right, good morning, Firewheel family. As these guys kind of get into position, it's very fitting for us on Father's Day to do a child, a parent-child dedication ceremony, so we're really excited about this. So just to give you a little backdrop, here at Firewheel, and depending upon what tradition you grew up in, religious tradition, we do not practice uh, baptism of children. What we practice is we practice what's called believer's baptism, that when somebody places their faith in Jesus and can articulate the gospel, then that's when they are fit to be baptized. But that being said, what we do do is we do something called parent and child dedication. This is really as much about the parents as it is really in relationship to the children. This is a way where the, the parents are telling us and giving these children back almost as an expression to God, saying that, you know what, Lord, we recognize that these children are precious gifts in your sight, that you have given us the responsibility to care for them and to be able to usher them up as they grow. And so we are offering them to you in that way and that we're asking for your help, Lord, that you would help us as parents to be able to navigate through all of the many challenges in life and be able to raise them in a way that honors you. Amen? It's a really a beautiful picture, and it has biblical precedent as well. So God delights in children. He takes great pleasure in them. They are one of the greatest gifts he gives. Psalm 127.3 proclaims that sons are a heritage from the Lord. I would include daughters in that as well. Children, a reward from him. So because children are a gift from God, it is natural that Christian parents present and dedicate their children to God in the Gospels, we read that people brought little children and babies to Jesus so that he might place his hands on them and be able to pray for them. All right, and we got others who are coming as well. So that's exactly what we're going to do. We are going to bless them, and we are going to lay hands on them, and we are going to uh, pray for them as well as a Firewell family. Hey, guys. All right. Hi, Jane. Hi, I like your dress. All right. <laughs> so we have this group of parents today. Uh, Tizzy, if you want to come just slide a little bit this way. Thank you. 
So in the same way, just as children were brought to Jesus, today these parents, Tizzy, Seth, and Taryn, bring their children, Jairus and Jane Raju, and Salem to heart. And what they're doing is first presenting themselves and their children before the Lord God. I would ask if there's any family members or friends who are here celebrating this uh, occasion with them, if anybody wants to stand so we can acknowledge you. Is there anybody here uh, where we can acknowledge you? Thank you so much. Thank you all for being here. So parents, <laughs> I call your attention to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7, which tells us this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your hearts, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. You shall talk of them when you sit up in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Indeed, there is no higher calling for parents than to teach their children well. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 1 reminds us that a wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son brings grief to his mother. The best thing moms and dads can do is to teach their children to fear the Lord. Again, we read in Proverbs 1, 7, it says that this is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, the successful application that all your children will learn in life depends upon them first learning to fear and follow God as they look at your model. So the church urges you as parents to love the Lord your God with every ounce and fiber of your being and to teach your children to do the same. As you love one another, as you love God, you will model for your children a wonderful love for the Lord that we desire that they would want to see in themselves as well. So now parents, what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, have you affirm, I'm going to make three declarational kind of statements and have you affirm uh, just by responding simply, I will. Okay, these are just dec uh, affirmations that you are affirming to your commitment to raise your children in the atmosphere of in uh, relationship with the Lord. So parents, will you raise your children in an atmosphere of love and discipline, knowing that the best place and best hope for a healthy childhood is one of unconditional love and clear standards? If you do so, please respond, I will. Will you communicate to your child the necessity of placing his or her faith in Jesus Christ at an age when he or she can understand the need, their need and his sacrifice on the cross? If so, please respond, I will. Finally, will you regularly pray for your child? Will you pray that God will use your child for his glory? Will you also pray that God will use you to develop his or her talents and passions to be used by him? If so, will you please respond, I will. Finally, these, these uh, if you've been here at Firewell for a while, you know these precious families. I'm going to ask us as a church to make a vow as well. Because as believers in the body of Christ, we have a responsibility to come alongside families to help raise children in the gospel. What we do is we come alongside parents to help disciple their children. That's what we do when we do children's programming and all these different things. That's what Pastor Barb does. So... I'm going to ask if you would take a vow as well. So as believers in the body of Christ, we have a responsibility to teach the gospel story to our younger generation. In fact, the Old Testament prophet Joel commands us to tell of God's work to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation, Joel 1.3. 
So I direct my question to you now, congregation. Do you, Firewheel Bible Fellowship, agree to support these parents by your example through acts of service toward these families? Do you vow by God's help to be faithful in your calling as members of the body of Christ to help Tizzy, Seth, and Taryn be faithful to God and to help train Jairus, Jane, and Salem in the ways of the Lord so that they might one day trust him as Savior and Lord? And if you do so, here's what I would like you to do. I would like you to stand in support and in recognition of your commitment to disciple this family uh, and come alongside them as well. So what we're going to do now is we are going to pray just like Jesus did to pray to bless these children. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do as a congregation. I'm going to ask you to extend out your hand toward these families as a way of showing that you are blessing them as well. And that you are, we are praying a prayer of agreement. You are going to pray with me as I pray and pray toward God as a blessing on these children that we support them as their local church. Okay? So let's pray. Gracious God and giver of life, we pray for these parents. We pray that you would give them wisdom and patience. And we pray that your joy will dwell in their homes and that you would order their lives and that you would instruct them in your gospel truth, strengthen them in faith and sustain them through prayer. Order their lives by love. We pray for Jairus, for Jane and for Salem. We pray that you would be gracious to them. We pray that you would draw them to yourself, that you would help them to love and trust Jesus. We pray that you will grow them in faith so that they might be like arrows in your hand. Please help us as a church to be an example for these children, to come alongside of these families lovingly and faithfully and prayerfully support them in the discipleship of their children in hopes of one day that they would become faithful followers of Jesus Christ. It's for Christ's sake and for his name and all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Let's give these families a hand. Bless you guys. God bless you. We love y'all. So we got just a little gift to present to you guys. All right. Hey, that's for you. Here you go. <laughs> All right, let's give them another hand. God bless you guys. God bless you guys. All right. Hey, hi. God bless you guys. God bless you, Tizzy. We love our kiddos, right? And genuinely, as a pastor, I always tell parents this. The role of the church is to help in partnership with you, to help partner with you to disciple your children. And so we love everything that our children's ministry does and grateful for them and for their service and the service of Pastor Barb and really, really cool. All right, guys, well, we're going to get into the Word. How many of y'all ready to get into the Scripture? So we're going to continue on in our study in the book of James. I apologize. Today, the printer decided it wanted to act like the devil. And so we do not have a sermon guide for you this week. So you guys will have to follow along uh, if you want to take digital notes or whatever or want to grab a pad and pencil. 
Uh, we'll try to get that uploaded to the website once the actual um, uh, sermon video is uploaded, that you can upload the digital copy, or maybe I'll have that sent out via email. Sorry about that, but technology is great when it works, but when it doesn't, you roll with it, right? Okay, so today as we continue on in our sermon series in the book of James, remind you about what we talked about last week. So last week, we talked about probably the main theme of the book of James that everybody really knows about. When James talks about the relationship between faith and works. We talked about how it's dangerous to think about faith separated from works. Is that really even that we can say that that's true faith? And I think that last week, hopefully I presented to you, I think an argument that says that you can have true faith without works. We even questioned if that was true. Then we looked at two examples that James gave as people who actually walked out their faith. So we looked at the example of Abram, and then we also looked at the example of Rahab. They were both people who demonstrated their faith through their works. So as we, uh, just a way of reminder, our one true statement from last week is that a workless faith is a worthless faith. I know they're trying to get that rocking. So a workless faith is a worthless faith. Because they're two sides of the proverbial same coin and they can't be separated. Today we're continuing on, we're going to find ourselves in James chapter 3, and we're going to really talk about the other major kind of theme of the book of James that it's well known about. We're going to talk about the little thing that resides inside your mouth called the tongue. So we're going to find ourselves in James chapter 3 immediately starting at verse 1. But before we get into the text, how many of you, your mouth gets you in trouble sometime? Y'all willing to admit? I have insert foot and mouth syndrome. Okay, and I know some of y'all have insert foot and mouth syndrome. I tend to talk before I think. So sometimes stuff just starts blabbering out and then I realize very quickly uh, that I've said something that I probably should have not said. There are times when I've said something even from this pulpit that I probably shouldn't have said. So this is what happens in the nature of when you do public speaking. But that being said, I often, my mouth gets me into trouble. We've all said, said something at one time we've not wanted to say, right? Have you ever said something that immediately as soon as it came out, you wish the words were like physical and you could just grab them right back? But you knew that you can't, it's out there in the ether now at that point, there's nothing you could do about it. And you immediately want to and just wish that you had not said whatever that thing was. Have you ever been on the receiving end of a biting and thoughtless comment or have you ever felt wounded or slandered? Had your character assassinated and slandered in a way? We've all had that experience, right? It's not fun. It's not pleasant. Well, let me tell you a story. A man working in a produce department was asked by a lady if she could buy a half a head of lettuce. He replied, half a head, are you serious? God grows these things in whole heads and that's how we sell them. You mean, she persisted, that after all the years I've shopped here, you won't sell me a half a head of lettuce. Look, he said, if you like, I'll go ask the manager. She indicated that this would be appreciated, so the young man marched to the front of the store and he says, you won't believe this. But there's a lame, braided idiot of a lady in the back who wants to know if she could buy a half a head of lettuce. He noticed the manager gesturing and turned around to see the lady standing behind him. Insert foot and mouth syndrome. Obviously having followed him to the front of the store. Well, what do you do at that point, right? 
And this nice lady was wondering if she could buy the other half, he concluded. <laughs> Later in the day, the manager cornered the young man and said, that was the finest example of thinking on your feet that I have ever seen. Where did you learn that? His reply, I grew up in Grand Rapids. And if you know anything about Grand Rapids, you know that it's known for its great hockey teams and its ugly women. The manager's face flushed as he interrupted, my wife is from Grand Rapids. <laughs> and what hockey team did she play for? Just a little fun tongue in cheek, but in all sincerity, we've all been there, right? We've said something and then realized that we were in a way slandering somebody and they could hear the words that we were saying. And then when you see their face and their expression and they have deflated and physically you can see it wearing on their face, you feel like so worthless at that point, right? You realize that what you said was something you shouldn't have said at that moment. Have you ever noticed that when you go to the doctor's office, one of the first things that a physician does when examining a patient is look at your tongue? They stick that big old fat tongue depressor in there. They're maneuvering and manipulating your tongue in ways that it's not humanly should be done. But still, they're manipulating it around. They're looking at your tongue. Why? Because it's often an index to the health of the rest of your body. In the same way, what is produced by our tongue, our words, is also an index to the health of our spiritual body, the health of our heart. This reminds me of the scripture when Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what comes out is a reflection of what lies within, and it's often a spiritual indicator. If bad stuff is just coming out of our mouth constantly, then something is going on beneath the surface. Here's our one true statement for today. So our one true statement is that the tongue may be small, but it can control your life and influence others. Let me say that again. The tongue may be small, but it can control your life and influence others. The tongue is something that when we sin, when we do something against an individual, it never just affects us, okay? So when we sin and when we say something to hurt somebody else, there's shrapnel that kind of happens. And people feel that, feel that all around within our spheres and circles of influence. But it may be small, but it has the ability to control your life and influence others. So let's hop into the text this morning, and we're going to see three quick things about the tongue, starting in James chapter 3, looking at verse 1. The first thing we're going to see is that the, the tongue has the power to direct our lives. Verse 1, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we, we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. This verse almost seems displaced from the rest of the narrative of what's going on. But if you realize he's been talking about faith and works, and he was talking about the way the church responded to a poor man, now he's essentially talking to the church as he continues on, and he's saying, those of you within the church are desiring to be leaders, but you should know that you're going to be judged with stricter judgment. And then he gives this example of talking about the tongue and the destruction that the tongue brings and the condemnation that it could bring based upon its actions. Look at verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. Interesting use of term, uh, but we'll talk a little bit about that. Able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. 
Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Verse 5, the beginning part. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. We all stumble, right? In many different ways in life we stumble. Some people are better at controlling their mouths than others. Some people have a little bit more self-control when it comes to that. A perfect man does not mean what you would think about when you say perfect. All right, I'm getting the signal. Excellent, thank you all. Thank you, team. So a perfect man isn't exactly what you think when you read the word perfect. Because we all know nobody's perfect, right? Right? Anybody want to raise their hand? All right, because you'd be lying in church. So uh, nobody's perfect. But when he's talking about the perfect man, he's talking about the man who's more mature. So the one who is more mature, that person is able in some ways to control their speech by doing so, able to bridle or keep in check the whole rest of their body. They, ha they exhibit self-control. The point James is trying to make is that if our tongue is in check, then we will deal with everything else in life, and that if our tongue is not in check, we'll stumble in other areas of our life. Because again, it's a key indicator of where we are at, spiritually speaking. James chapter 1 verse 26 says this, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, there's the same word, bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, his heart this person's religion is worthless. So if you cannot control your tongue, then your religion, when we talked about pure and honest religion, when we talked about what that is in, in uh, James chapter 1, we talked about it meaning devotion. So when he's talking about pure religion, he's talking about our devotion to God. So he's telling us that if we cannot control our mouth, then our devotion to God is worthless. We're, being, we're deceiving ourselves. We're really showing that internally we're sick, and externally it's showing through the things in which we communicate. Very strong words that James is giving to us here, but he makes a point by giving his own sermon illustrations. He's a good preacher. And he gives you two illustrations. The first one is the horse. So he talks about this large, massive horse. When I think about this, when I was reading this passage, I thought of those old Budweiser commercials with the massive Clydesdales. Have you ever actually physically seen a Clydesdale? I saw them in Stockholm, England one time, at Stockholm, uh, Sweden. And so when I was in Sweden, I got to see them. They had some parade thing going down, some cobblestone road, and these things were massive. I mean, they are massive, majestic, beautiful-looking creatures. Way more powerful than I am. Why do you think we talk about cars in terms of horsepower? Horses have power, okay? They can, they can put a hurting on you, if not kill you with some of their power. But a horse is a very large and powerful animal, much more powerful than the one who rides the horse. However, a rider who's so much smaller in stature, smaller in weight, smaller in strength, can control a horse with a little five to six piece inch of metal that's in its mouth. With that bit, they can control the horse's whole body, directing it to go wherever the rider wants it to go. So too, the tongue, as small as it is, has the ability to direct our lives. Just like the bit in the horse's mouth, it could lead you in a direction that you don't want to go. It could actually get you into trouble. But then also your mouth can lead you potentially in a good direction where you're seeing words of encouragement, you're saying good things, and it gets you into a place where you're doing good. 
It has the way to direct our lives. It is that powerful. Have you ever just lost it before? Have you ever gotten so worked up that you just lost and it felt you lost all self-control? And that at the moment when your breaking point, finally you settle down, when, you're, when the level of your anger was not at the boiling point of nine, and finally you are down to a simmer, and you can have the simplest glimpse of reality, you realize that you just blew it. You blew your top, so to speak. It just builds sometimes, right? Sometimes, especially when we're angry. When we're angry, then the word starts just coming out, starts building. We ain't thinking about calming down. We're thinking about hurting that person. We're thinking about that escalating to hurting them physically. If not, we're definitely going to tear them down with our words. And so it just builds, it builds, it builds, it builds. And we just blow up. We lose it. We feel out of control. And then we say stuff and we get even more angry. And our tongue is controlling us and we're not controlling it. It's directing us in a direction we would never want to really go. He gives us the second example of a ship. How many of y'all have ever been on a cruise before? So I have not had the luxury of going on a cruise before. I have not. I have not. I've not gone on a cruise. I don't know why, Jen, we, we talk about it, but I've just never been on one. But I do have an appreciation for large boats and just seeing the, the structure and the structural engineering behind a large boat. I mean, you look at, I just watched, it was a YouTube video. If those of you who follow Mr. Beast, the guy who has the most YouTube followers, period, actually just had a video on a $3 billion, I think it was $3 billion with a B. I didn't say that incorrectly. Billion-dollar cruise ship that was about to launch. And it literally looks like a floating city. Like it had seven or eight different areas, had, walk, had like parks and uh, like had all kind of stuff inside of it. It looked like a city. Like seven or eight different little locations where they looked like a city. As big as that ship is, it's being directed by a small rudder. If there was an issue with the rudder, no matter how large the ship would be, the ship would be at the mercy of the wind rather than being directed by the captain the ship would not be able to do anything. It would just be floating out there like a floating paperweight, pretty much. So if we do not hold our tongue in check, we lose control of the ship. The point is the same, that even though the tongue is very proportionately small in relationship to the rest of your body, it has the way, like a bit in a horse's mouth or a rudder on a ship, to take you in any direction that you allow it to if it's not placed under control. It will take you in places you do not want to go. The New Living Translation says this for the beginning of verse 5, which I like. It says, in the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. <laughs> it's a small thing that makes grand speeches. Our speech has a lot to do with whether or not it's showing if we are under control or we are not. So the power, the tongue has the power to direct our lives, but the power also, the tongue also has the power to damage our lives, to bring, bring significant damage. Look at the end of verse 5. So the end of verse 5 says this, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and setting it on fire by hell. It's kind of strong language. Look at verse 7 and 8. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. 
But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. James uses a lot of descriptive language here, and I just want to go ahead and just briefly highlight some of the things that he uses as descriptors when he's talking about the tongue. He says, first of all, the tongue is a fire. So what does fire do? It consumes everything in its path. Fire destroys things. It takes things that are physical and makes them, burns them down to ash. It destroys that which it touches. It consumes it completely, absorbing it completely, melting it down, whether it's a metal, whether it's something else. It just it completely consumes everything in its path. Think of like a wildfire. It's a world of unrighteousness. Another way to say it is that it's a world of evil. Contained within the tongue of our, in our speech is representation of all kinds of wickedness. It stains the whole body, meaning it corrupts the whole person. It sets on fire the entire course of life. The tongue can damage, bring damage to every area of a person's life. It can bring damage to relationships. It can bring damage to a marriage. It can bring damage between parents and kids. It can bring damage between you and your employer. It can bring damage to every human relationship that you have. It's that destructive. If we don't watch what we will say, we will often say things that we regret and cause damage to others. And it also says this set on fire by hell. That's interesting if you think about it, a very interesting image, because Satan gives the tongue the ability of its destructive potential. This is the real reason why the tongue can cause damage, because if Satan gets control of your tongue, he will control your actions. Let me say that again. If the enemy gets control of your tongue, he will get control of your actions. He will lead and direct you in a way that you don't want to be led. Have you ever been to a circus or a zoo? Right? How many of y'all like zoos? Anybody like zoos here, right? I, I love, animals are very majestic beings, and I love being able to see animals in, in just these grandeur of these animals that I'll never be able to see unless I went to a place like that. But if you think about it, if you go to a zoo or if you go to SeaWorld or if you go to a circus, any wild animal that you can think of in some ways has been tamed by humanity. I remember the whole, I used to go to the circus when I grew up and I remember the whole thing broke with uh, Barnum and Bailey Circus and then because of animal abuse and all that, I'm not talking about that, but I'm just talking about principally, when you went to, you saw a lion, lion tame or you saw a tiger come out, and you see them doing very unnatural things in some way, it's because, in, it's because their spirit in some way has been broken by a human to which they could devour or easily kill very simply. They're stronger than the human, they're not smarter than the human, but they're stronger than them. But he gives us the illustration that says that any wild animal basically has been tamed by an actual human, but yet a human cannot tame the tongue. The tongue cannot be tamed. Just because our tongue cannot be tamed, does that mean we should just give up? I don't believe the answer to that is yes. The answer is not yes. I would say no. I think he's going to make that point later on. We'll never reach the point, you and I, where our tongue is perfectly controlled. You will say things to hurt people. You will say things that hurt people. The, word, the words, please forgive me, should be in your vocabulary. I'm not talking about saying I'm sorry. When Jen and I counsel couples, and this is a hard thing for me, I didn't grow up this way. 
when Jen and I counsel couples a lot of times, and we've had her walk this out, and she'll tell me even when I'm trying to skate out of it, she'll be like, you know you're not doing it the right way. But she calls me and checks me on it because she's right. A lot of times when we say we're sorry, what we're saying is I just don't want to deal with the situation. There's, these are like magic words, like pixie dust I'm throwing out at you, so that way I can seem like I have some level of, of remorse, and so that way the conversation gets shut down because this conversation is uncomfortable. I think the better and more biblical way to say is please forgive me. And please forgive me for whatever that action is and identify what it is. Please forgive me for saying this statement to you. Please forgive me for this action toward you. It needs to be part of your vocabulary and your speech because your words will hurt people. The last thing I want you to see is that the tongue has the power to determine life. Verse 9, the tongue has the power to determine life. So as we pick up in verse 9, it says this. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Can we get a hearty amen to that? They not ought to be so. Blessing and cursing coming out the same mouth. Does the spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Verse 12. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. If you think about the tongue, it's very uniquely positioned because it is a contradictor, it's a contradiction in and of itself. The tongue has the power to speak forth blessing, and it also has the power to curse people. It has the unique ability to do one of this, those two things. And often to do those things sometimes even in the same conversation. It has the power to bless or it has the power to curse. If you think about this, I think why he links this back to creation and us being made in the image and likeness of God. Think about back to Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, God speaks and things are created, right? So we call this in theology, God created out of nothing, ex nihilo. So God creates this nothing, and he speaks, and then there's something. God, God's words have creative ability in that way. They create something. But isn't it interesting that God's highest form of creation, humanity, that we're really the only ones that have speech? Yes, it's really cute on a TikTok video when a parrot mocks you and says one word back to you that you say. Okay, But in all reality, humans are the only ones that can actually have intelligible conversations in the context of using speech. We're given this unique gift, ability to communicate with one another using speech in the same way that God has used speech. But we can curse with that speech, we can say negative things toward another person, insulting or verbally abusing another person. That's why cursing in this sense is wrong. Why is it wrong? Because it's directed against another human who is made in the image and likeness of God. So when we curse another individual, and I'm not just talking about using expletive words. You understand what I'm talking about when I'm saying I curse another individual. When I speak badly toward another individual, when I'm slandering them, when I am... Uh, purposely trying to tear them down with my words. When I am speaking that kind of thing over them, what I am doing is I am taking someone who's created in the image and likeness of God and I am defaming the image of God in them by what I communicate. It's a humbling responsibility. It's very humbling when you think about that. 
Doesn't it bother you? It bothers me. Doesn't it bother you to think that we are in here, we sing worship songs, we're praising, we're doing all that, and then an hour later from now, you could be cussing somebody out on the road? In all sincerity, doesn't it bother you? It bothers me because I know in my humanity, in my flesh, that my flesh rises up. And those kind of things will happen. Now, there are some in Christianity that genuinely believe that our words have the ability to create reality. So the words have power in them, somewhat like, like God, basically, that I could say something and something be created. You can find that all over the internet. There are genuinely people, we call this the word of faith, that believe that you can create reality with your words. So they won't say certain words or they'll say certain words thinking that it somehow creates reality. I believe that's a very grossly negligent and bad biblical interpretation. However, I will say this, your words do not have the ability to create, but your words have significant ability to influence. Let me say that again. Your words do not have the ability to create, but your words have significant ability to influence. Let me give you a perfect example. If you grew up in a household where your parents told you you would never be nothing, where your parents said that you're dumb, or they said, how come, you know, they always were speaking down to you. They weren't ever speaking words of encouragement. They were never speaking words of love. You never heard the words, I love you, uttered from your father or your mother's mouth. Don't you think that when you grow up, there'll be some correlation between those words and what you think about yourself? It doesn't mean that it's true. Because the truth of the matter is, is exactly what James said. You are created in the image and likeness of a holy and loving God. You are made. You are literally formed. God knew you in the womb before you came into existence. God knows every single hair on your head. You are beautifully and wonderfully made. That's the truth. But if you grew up in a context where somebody is never speaking words of life on you, but all they're doing is speaking words that will seek to destroy you and are destructive and continue to tear you down and never build you up, you wonder why people have self-esteem issues then going on. You wonder why people have suicidal thoughts growing up in households like that. Because those words have created a sense of their reality. They begin to believe the lie. The enemy just wants you to believe the lie. And what I am telling you today is sometimes one of the greatest things we could ever do, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, sometimes you need to look at yourself in the mirror and you need to declare what God's word says about you. Because you need to just look at the mirror and say, it doesn't matter what I feel today, I am beautifully and wonderfully made. I know he is for me and not against me. I know that he knows every hair that is on my head. I know that I am greater than the sparrows and he, and he supplies all the needs for the sparrows. How much more greater am, uh, am I than them? I know that he calls me friends. You need to speak the word of God over you to bring life over you. That is the truth. That is the reality. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. The Word of God brings life. It brings life because we serve a living God, and that living God wants you to know that you are created in His image and His likeness. Our words do not have the ability to create out of reality, but they sure have the ability to influence our reality. 
Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me is the biggest crock of junk I have ever heard in my life. Words hurt. Words hurt. Words hurt when your kid comes to you from school and has been being bullied. Words hurt when you are being rejected by those that you love. Words hurt when your spouse tells you they don't love you anymore. Words hurt. But I'm here to tell you that out of that same mouth that comes cursing can come blessing. So here's what I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen. Be a person who speaks life. Speak life over another individual. Be a one who's an encourager. Don't have the gift of discouragement. Be one who walks in encouragement, encouraging people, telling them how they're valued, how they're loved, telling them that they are precious to you and that they are precious to God. We need more people like that. People who are in your life who are like that, hold them close, man. You need those people to be your encouragers, to be there in your corner, to speak words of life about you. When the enemy is speaking lies to you and you're starting to believe them yourself, when you've heard them externally and then you're starting to internally process them, and then we need to go to the word of God and we need to speak life over ourselves as well. You need to preach yourself happy. Proverbs 18.21 says this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruits. There is power in what we say, so we need to watch what we say. If our heart has been changed, our speech has to change. We cannot get pure water from a salted source of water. He's giving you all of these examples basically to pr pretty much say that you need to be one who... The, the tongue has the ability to speak forth both the blessing and the cursing. You have to know that reality, but be one who speaks with what's giving life, that gives life and encouragement in what you say. Let's summarize this and we'll close. So our one true statement was this, that the tongue may be small, but it can control your life and influence others. The tongue has the power to direct our lives, is the first thing we saw. Just like the bit inside the horse's mouth, or like the rudder on a ship, it has the power to direct us. And sometimes our speech will lead us down a direction that we never wanted to go. And when those words are out, we can't take them back. Or it can also be used in a positive way. It can direct us into a positive direction, where we can not only speak positive words over ourselves, but then also be able to be, speak life over others. It has the power to damage lives. It's this consuming fire. It's this world of unrighteousness, all these things that he says. And it also has the power to determine life. Our words do not have the ability to create, but they certainly have the ability to influence. So be a positive influence in the things that you say to the individuals that you love and even to the stranger on the street who cuts you off in traffic. We gotta get this self-control thing under control. So how do we put this into practice? And we're going to pray. How can we tame the tongue? My first bit of encouragement to you is that going right back to James. James chapter 1 verse 19 says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. I told you guys when we covered this verse, to highlight this verse, this is a theme verse in this actual book. So know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Sometimes we talk before we think. So here's my encouragement to you. Take a moment to pause and ponder what you're about to say. Cut the fuse off 
at the source before it starts blowing up and grows, grows into something much more quicker. So ask yourself these questions. And what I'm about to say, is it true? Is it helpful? Is it encouraging or destructive? Is it necessary? Is it kind? When you feel like you want to just give somebody a piece of your mind, try to, as much as you can, with the help of the Holy Spirit, say, God, I realize I am so angry right now. God, help me to control my tongue. Think of these questions. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it encouraging or destructive? Is it necessary or is it kind? Is it worth saying? Sometimes the best thing you can do is be slow to speak. Is to be slow to speak. And then lastly, I would encourage you to pray. And I'm not saying this just to say, oh, always just pray about it. The reason why I'm asking you and saying that you should pray about this is because according to this passage, and I believe according to our own very own experience, you and I cannot control our tongues. You and I will say things that hurt people. Firewell Bible Fellowship. There will be times when I, as the pastor here, will say things that might hurt you. And I would hope that if I did do that, that you would have enough courage to come up to me and I'd tell you right now, I'd be the first person to apologize for doing so. We will say things that hurt other individuals. So we need to pray that God would give us more self-control. That when we flub it up one time, that the next time that we'll be more prepared, that we know as we're starting to get riled up, especially as it relates to anger, there are indicators that you know when you know your spot, you're about to blow it and lose self-control. So as you get to know what some of those indicators are, you can say, you can stop right in its tracks and at that point you say, God, I know I'm getting angry. I feel my heart starting to race. I'm clenching my fist. I realize that I am clenching my teeth. I am getting angry. God, please help me right now to exhibit self-control so I do not say something that's destructive at this moment. Speak life over each other. This world needs a lot more encouragement. We don't need to be tearing people down. We need to be building people up so that way they can see in you the love of Christ that's in your heart and it's expressed through your speech. Amen? Let's pray. So Lord, we do love you and we praise you. It's a humbling reality to know, Lord, that out of this little organ, both life and death can come, blessing and cursing can come. So God, I pray that you would forgive me for times when I have spoke words of blessing and then just turned around and spoke words of cursing to others. Lord, I do pray that you would help us to exhibit more self-control. We realize that the tongue is not something that we can, just by our own sheer willpower, be able to tame and control. But we do realize that with the power of the Holy Spirit and with your help and with your guidance, we can exhibit more self-control. So Lord, I pray that you would work that in our hearts. I pray that we would be people who speak life and would be encouragers and not discouragers, Lord. That we would think about these questions. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it necessary? Is it kind? These kind of things, Lord, when we think about and want to say something, something that we unfortunately can't take back. So, Lord, I pray that we would be cautious in our speech, Lord, and that out of the abundance of our hearts, the mouth speaks. But, Lord, I pray that what that abundance comes out of is springs of living water. I pray that living water would just flow out of our words. That, Lord, would bring life to a dry and weary land. So, Lord, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
We're going to ask you all to stand and we're going to go ahead and worship. We're going to have the prayer team come down. If there's an opportunity that we can have to be able to pray for you, we'd love to be able to do that. So let's take a moment and reflect and respond to what we heard in the message. And just if there's anything in particular we can pray for, we'd love to pray with you. So let's worship.
to the Father, right? Y'all may be seated. We consistently, dependently run to him over and over again. If it's your first time here at Firewell, we are really glad that you are here. Uh, we'd like to just be able to connect with you. So on the screen behind me, there's a QR code. If you want to scan it and give us some information, we'd love to just be able to see how we could come alongside of you and serve you and your family. Uh, that's totally up to you, but we'd love to be able just to connect with you. So as you exit the auditorium today, there's a connection center. One of our guest services attendants would love to give you a special gift for worshiping with us, no strings attached. Just as a way of saying thank you, because we know that there are many places you can choose to worship for, but for being here with us, and maybe answer any questions you might have about Firewheel. So we'd love to be able to share that info with you. We're going to go ahead and take our offering this morning, and so I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward. Uh, there are many different ways you can give at Firewheel, as you'll see on the screen. Uh, every Sunday, we take an opportunity to worship the Lord through giving. Uh, it's not that God needs our money, but allows us, you know, to be able to, just to give back to him that which belongs to him anyway. And just saying, God, we're using money as a tool, as an act of worship to you. We're giving back to you. And Lord, help us to use it so we can have a building like this, be able to do ministry and all those other different things. So I'm going to pray a blessing over the offering. We're going to show you a cool little Father's Day video, and then we'll get you dismissed. So Lord, we love you, and we do praise you. We thank you for the opportunity to give. We thank you for that you are the giver of all good things. And Lord, so we trust you in all things. We pray that you bless the gift and the giver, cause it to multiply so we may continue to do your work in this area that you have called us to. Lord, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, Dad. Mom and baby are doing great. You got a baby girl. Yes. Oh, Dad. <laughs> Honey. There you go, one more. Honey, are you seeing this? Step, there you go. Good job, you did it. You ready? Give me a good hit. Give me a good hit. Good job. Yeah, go, 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 go. Dang, don't go, dang, don't go. Uh-oh. Morning, neighbor. Papa, I'm scared. You got it, buddy. Here we go. One, two, three. Go ahead. Yeah, good job, bud. My girl. All right, now with this one, you're gonna have to drive really, really slow. We're so thankful for this food you've given us. Be a blessing to our body. Amen. Daddy's home. Dad, I'm so sorry. I'm just glad you're okay. Now, I want her home by 10. Yes, sir. Don't try anything. Dad, stop. Hi, honey. Hi, hi. Wow, what's gotten into you? Who gives this woman to be married to this man? Her mother and I.
and we'll go and pray our benediction over you. I do want to make just one verbal announcement that's really important. Next week, if you call Firewheel your home, after service next week, we will have a very important church family meeting. So we would encourage you guys all to stay. There won't be any childcare, but we will have the great room open because we want everybody to participate. And the cry room will be open if you need to escort your children, if you want to um, be with your children at some points. Um, but please, we have some really important updates to be able to share. So if you can be here next Sunday, immediately after the service, we will have that. Okay? So let me pray over you. May the Lord go before you to light the path and give you direction. May he go behind you to guide your steps. May he go beside you to keep you from stumbling. May he go above you to protect you. And may he go within you to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. May our Father in heaven always grant you the character that is greater than your gifts and humility that is greater than your influence. God bless you guys. Happy Father's Day. Go check out the uh, Father's Day uh, photo booth and we got a special gift for you as you exit the auditorium today as well. We love you guys. We'll see you all next week.